Whatever comes our way, we roll with it. Welcome in hour two of Sports Talk. Out of the bullpen, onto the mound. Evan Kahn now here with us. I'm Scott Beatty. Taking you till six o'clock. We'll give way for Serve Pro Prep Football Confidential, powered by the U of I Army ROTC. That's at six p.m. seven p.m. tonight. It's the Brett Bielma Show. That's a studio show only uh, because of football tomorrow night. So we'll not be live at Papa Dell's, but it will be here on our airwaves as well as our sister station, Light Rock 97.5. So it is our Wednesday fiesta extravaganza full smorgasbord of sports. Hope you're doing well. Welcome in. We enjoyed talking with Coach Q last hour. Anthony Heron coming up from the Big Ten Network as well as WSCR The Score. And it's great to have you along for Sports Talk. Evan Connell, I'll start with this. What is more breathtaking? As I've seen on loop now, it seems, the highlight of Aaron Judge's <laughs> 60th home run. And the swing and the just the whole thing is majestic, takes your breath away. So does the way the White Sox lose baseball games. <laughs> Breathtaking, <laughs> isn't it? In a different sort of way, but yeah, yeah. The, the same kind of act. Um, uh, and I, I, that, yeah, last night was... Just kind of a, a microcosm of the entire White Sox season. Of course they gave up the lead. Of course it went up to extras. <laughs> of course the White Sox tied it in the 10th. And then, of course, they gave up five more <laughs> runs in the 11th. <laughs> it's, yeah, it, it's just crazy. I, I saw the, the highlight early on in, in the game where the outfielder tripped over the foul line, and I was like, oh, boy, here we go again. Yeah, and, those foul lines, it's hard to see them. <laughs> yeah, they, they come up and they get you when you're not ready for it. But, yeah, and, you know, the offense is continued to do what it's been doing they were getting the power going they gave Dylan Cease a little bit of run support and then the bullpen blows it and then the lineup comes back it's just like one step forward two steps back all season and for going into the year thinking well it's there's their division to lose <laughs> they haven't been in the lead for what three months now and they lost it and as Darren Jackson was saying and you can kind of see, yeah, okay, win two more, some things break your way. Yeah, the the season's not quite over, but you're sitting, you know, five games back now with less than 12 to go or about 12 to go. It's just almost impossible. When I was a kid, I remember my mother taking out the pan of uh, the cake or the brownies or whatever, and you'd stick a little toothpick in it, and you'd, you know, she says, oh, it just needs another minute or so. Yeah. You can put that toothpick in. <laughs> okay, maybe they're not quite done, but if we had to, we could pull this out and eat it right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially if you like them gooey. Yeah, yeah. I call that good enough when you're reheating something in the microwave. Is it warm? It's good enough. Not on taco night. No, no. We, <laughs> That's a different story. I don't think you can make tacos in the microwave. Well, there's, man, there's, no, there's no good enough. It's free. Eh, uh, I'll just slap this together. I know that that is a very focused procedure. All, all cooking for me is a focused <laughs> procedure, all right? This stuff ain't easy. No, it's not. <laughs> That's why it's been delegated to somebody else in my house. <laughs> uh, welcome in. If you want to weigh in, you can on the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217 217- Three five one five three five seven. Um, that's uh, I, I think baseball is the, the the big 
story across the board nationally. There's some NBA news. Suns owner giving up uh, stuff there. But uh, baseball and college football is kind of where we're at here in the middle of this week of September. By the way, it looks like we got a, some rain coming through, and then we're going to finally cool off. So that's we're ready to go. <laughs> that's what I was looking for. I was about to pull up the the radar because I'm finally by a window, and yeah, it looks kind of kind of spooky out there. Looks like it's staying to the south of us for for right now, but it, it just kind of that that midweek lull. Football season such a weird time because there's so much buildup for just the weekends, and then you're sitting here in the middle, and you'll get a mat game, or you'll have to pay so that you can watch the NFL game on Amazon Prime, which we didn't get into last week, and I still can't believe. So well, but I, I'm glad you brought that up because Amazon reportedly from CBS Sports. Uh, the story from CBS Sports, Amazon is apparently trying to get back in the play bo- sandbox here with conference realignment and, and media stuff. So they're still trying to get some – I don't quite get how this works because I thought it was signed, sealed, delivered in terms of Big Ten media rights, but they still may want either some what what's called downstream games from the Big Ten mm. or or Big 12, Pac-12, uh, according to industry sources, to get some of those, those football games. So they're not going to get the marquee games. That's no. set. Uh, but they still want to get in it. And uh, there, there just seems to be this constant – uh, do we go in with streaming or do we let it be hard to figure out? And, and and as was pointed out in the article, the NFL is still mostly on three-letter networks. Mm-hmm. And the Big Ten is about to be on the marquee games are about to be on signals that you could actually get for free over the air with a receiver. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, but yet there's the wondering, is streaming the future? And I'm going to say, I don't know, because my Amazon experience, I don't know how it was for you, <laughs> uh, was there, there was some weird audio stuff going on. Mm. And I know other people had uh, couldn't get it well on my TV, but I could get it on my phone or vice mm-hmm. versa. But to me, the audio was just off. And it kind of uh, dampened what was a pretty electric atmosphere at Arrowhead. Mm-hmm. So I, I just didn't, I was like, this is just a little wonky. It's working out the kinks. As you said, I I think this is their first time really kind of diving into this sort of thing. And when the media rights stuff came out or when they were discussing the the negotiations, Amazon came up, Apple TV came up or Apple Plus, whatever you want to call it. And neither of them were included. And I found that kind of curious because they they do seem like they wanted to get in there. And, And it kind of makes sense in this in the fact that you point out those three letter networks it's good to get on there because you don't have to really pay for anything right you just need an antenna and it can come in and that's what baseball has been running into as far as carriage of their networks right if you put it on the streaming service well the streaming service service is going to carry their product, so you don't have to worry about not getting distribution. So, so it's right there. But then you run into the issues for the common folk who don't want to pay for Apple Plus and Peacock and this and that and the other and the other. And now, oh, we're paying just as much as we already were for cable. Yeah, <laughs> so it's not more. So it, it's really tricky. Um, but I, I yeah, I'll, I'll be interested to see what games if they do end up on Amazon. Uh, on Amazon Prime, whether it's some basketball games, maybe it's those games that used to be on BTN Plus, they, they get shifted over there. That would make sense for me. I, I always just find it 
weird that I have to pay for BTN Plus for that first month of the season so we can watch those couple of basketball games and it's like, oh, well, that's it. Whereas you throw it onto Amazon Prime, then people have a reason to subscribe because you get more than, you know, just so, those two games out of the year. But the the Pac-12, I think we were talking about it yesterday, they're, they're really facing an uphill hill battle here. And maybe Amazon and Apple TV are, are the places because they don't really have anything as far as college sports right now. According to the CBS article, Dennis Dodd wrote, Amazon reportedly bid for more, bid more for the Big Ten's 330 window than other Big Ten suitors, according to The Athletic. If the Big Ten indeed turned down such an offer, the concerns were likely distribution and visibility. Mm. Are you listening, Major League Baseball? <laughs> the consensus among industry experts is that streaming remains on the come as a platform for college rights. That's why the Big Ten went big with broadcast partners. But that future is coming. Amazon's 11-year deal with the NFL for Thursday Night Football is reportedly worth $1 billion per season. <laughs> Apple recently signed a 10-year deal with MLS for inventory at $250 million. A season and approximately 85% of U.S. households have at least one streaming service. However, 85% is not 100%. And that's a streaming service. Yeah, that's when not you start every- diversifying and you've got them uh, again on all those multiple ones, then people. You, it's not. It's not like we're living in an economic boom right now. Yeah. All right, people don't just have money to to throw around and, and subscribe to these different services when all they want to do is watch their games. And I would, you know, I would argue that if you give it to more people for less cost, you could increase the, you know, ad revenue because advertisers would be getting their ads in front of, you know, more people. <laughs> Let me ask you about Kirk Herbstreet. I don't know if you watched the game. Mm-mm. I guess he did fine. And I'm, uh, I am um, slow to want to criticize anybody in that chair because I a, haven't done it, and and it's 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 a high pressure, high visibility gig. So I thought he did fine. He and Al Michaels stepped on each other a little bit. Okay, it's their first game together, but they, you know, they were they were laughing because he was on his way to Boone, North Carolina, for game day mm-hmm. from where were they? Kansas City the next day, and then I think later that day he was calling a game in another city. Wow! And I'm like, okay. This guy's good, I guess. I mean, I, I he's likable. I don't have a problem with Kirk Herbstreit. I don't know that he's created controversy. Maybe he has. I don't know. But what? I mean, <laughs> sometimes it's like this is the only guy out there that can do this. <laughs> we got to fly him across the country to do this. Who 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 really comes to mind though when you think of college football analysts? That's a good he, point. He's it's, about it's, it. It's uh, not like a um um um. In terms of like huge superstar, it's not like a John Madden, right? Chris Collinsworth, mm-hmm. or, or or now what Tony Romo has become. Tony Romo, Fair. you know Troy Aikman, yeah. all, all these guys, and even on the baseball side, you know we we know all the names that that are up there. When it comes to college football, you've got Joel Klatt, and they stick him with Gus Johnson at eleven o'clock on Friday or on Saturday, and then you don't hear from him again. And then otherwise, you know, it's a it's kind of a, a mix of former college guys. There, there's just not a whole lot of marquee names when it comes to the the college football analysts. Andy's been doing it for so long. Yeah, I mean, since, yeah. since I I was alive, or it's, since I can remember, which is you know going back twenty years yeah. now. Yeah, I mean Gary Danielson's been partnered a long time on CBS. 
uh, for their, you know, the, like the SEC game of the week kind of stuff. But I mean, I'm not. Should, I, 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 mean, I watched that game on Sunday. It's such a very dry broadcast. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, that's always been sort of CBS's style mm-hmm. in everything. Mm-hmm. I'm not criticizing; I'm observing. I think there tend to be just the facts, ma'am, kind of style of of broadcast, where there's others that are a little bit more about bells and whistles and animated robots. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so that's some of what's going on. You can weigh in if you want. Anthony Heron, who's I think a fine college analyst as well, will join us next. We'll talk some Illini football that he is getting ready to call, some Bears, some other things. Colin Like is going to come in and get us ready for Prep Football Confidential as well on this Wednesday edition of Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk on DWS. Now at NewsGazette.com, Inside Illini Basketball, our weekly podcast with beat writer Scott Ritchie, who has a lot of good news. Basketball practices start in a week. Sports Talk, News Talk 1400, 93.9 FM. Scott and Evan here for the rest of this hour, and then it's Surf Pro High School Prep Football Confidential coming up at 6. Tomorrow night, Illinois football kickoff at 7.30 at Memorial Stadium. Our game day coverage starts at 5.30 right after Sports Talk. But on the television side, Anthony Heron will be here to cover the game for the Big Ten Network, and he joins us on the line. Anthony, great to catch up with you again. Scott Evans, yeah, really a great time. Every time I'm on my way down to Champaign, and I, I got to tell you, I wasn't sure what to expect from the Illini coming into the season exactly, but I've been pretty impressed. I'm looking forward to getting my eyes on them in person. Well, one of the things that has stood out to me, and I wonder about you, is this is defense, uh, particularly because so many pieces were lost. There's an assumption, and there wasn't a question mark, I guess, because of it, that when you lose a lot of pieces, you don't know if you can be what you were. But so far, so good for this defense. What stands out to you about it? Well, you got to give a lot of credit to Ryan Walters, as Brett Bielema constantly does, because he's just an exceptional coach. And you see that play out in the way that his defense plays the game, and especially the secondary is really, really what stands out to me on film here early, because you see a group that's not only playing with speed, not only plastering coverage well, even the pre-snap phase where you started to see last season where Sidney Brown was beginning to do some of what, you know, you think of a name like Troy Polamalu and what he really became famous for, a lot of the pre-snap disguise, moving from one quadrant of the field all the way to a completely different area after the football gets snapped. You see Sidney Brown doing some of those things. But as much as anything, the speed and physicality that they're playing the game with, it just pops off the film whether it's a a running back in the flat getting ready to receive a pass on one of the first snaps of the season, whether it's a a pass receiver over the middle and the amount of jersey swarming to the football, and even just standard situations on the line of scrimmage. Like Johnny Newton, he is playing with heavy hands, getting into people, getting off blocks, and Keith Randolph, the violence he's playing the game with, the way he is chasing the football, to have a defensive lineman leading the team in tackles three games into the season. It's really remarkable what we're seeing at all levels from this Ryan Walters defense. Anthony, what do you make about the amount of coverage that Illinois plays in man-to-man? I I don't know, and Ryan Walters has been a a bit coy about directly answering it. Is it something that Illinois has a luxury of doing in playing a ton of man-to-man? Is it something that uh, it's a philosophical approach? Is it something that a lot of teams can just do? Uh, 
because they seem to be doing it very well for the reasons that you just said. They certainly, they're doing it well. And I think, honestly, even beyond that, there's a lot of the coverage they run that won't be just straight man, that it'll, it'll have a straight man, you know, single high sort of look to it. But then we'll really roll into the quarters coverage concepts where they, they can still run things that are more, I guess the, the term matchup zone would probably be, you know, the most simplistic way to, to kind of describe just for some of the listeners who maybe aren't, you know, really deep into the weeds on football, but that depending on where the route combination from the receivers go to coverages that can end up as man concepts that don't start off with straight man. So a, a corner like Devin Witherspoon, who, who is just playing out of his mind here, early in the season. And Ron Walters told me earlier today, he's playing the corner position as well as anyone he's ever been around through three games of the season. But even in zone concepts, where Witherspoon can have eyes in the backfield, where if a receiver comes across his face, he knows he only has to chase him for you know a certain segment of the route tree before letting him go and anticipating another route to come across his face in another area. There's a spatial recognition and a pattern match that this secondary, with all the experience back there, you know, Taz Nicholson has played a lot of football, even though eligibility-wise he's only a sophomore. You know, Quan Martin, senior, Sidney Brown, senior, Devin Witherspoon, multi-year starter who's just been exceptional. And even Kendall Smith, who's his first year as like a legitimate starter to the Illini, but moved from corner to safety, and he's been around this program. He's played a lot of football as a special team standout over the years. So that experience in the second year under Ryan Walters, that's a part of where even when they're not in straight man coverage, they can still match up and pattern match in a way that still confuses the opposing quarterback. Anthony Heron is joining us here on Sports Talk from the Big Ten Network, The Score, Sirius XM. Anthony, this is Evan. You mentioned the defensive Brown and Sydney. What about the the running back in Chase Brown? How much credit do you give to him? And something we don't really discuss a whole lot. How much credit does the offensive line get for the season that he's put together here for, through the first three games? And I think the offensive line point you hit is a really good one, Evan, because you think about all the experience that was there up front for the Illini last year. And so we kind of felt like that was a proven commodity. We had all those starts from Vidarian Lowe and Doug Kramer and what that could mean for them up front. And then, you know, you add Brett Bielema into that mix. And like, all right, they're going to have a quality rushing attack. We can assume that because Brett Bielema takes over and he loves the offensive line to be featured. And so that ended up being the case. But then, you know, you have running backs kind of dropping like flies at different points. You add Josh McCray, the true freshman, into the mix. But as much football as Chase Brown had played, none of us fully knew the, the level of special talent that he would end up emerging into. We started to see it late in the season last year. And at this point, I can't imagine it. You know, I certainly haven't watched every snap of college football. I haven't seen another running back playing at the level that Chase Brown is playing the position at. Not only the, the violence, the urgency that he's running with, just like every run might be the last time he ever carries the rock. But there's a creativity to his game that I hadn't necessarily seen before. I had, coming into this season, Chase Brown had been kind of a slasher type, you know, enough speed for his size, but, you know, maybe on his own scheme, you know, he, he could stretch it laterally, put his foot in the ground, and then run north and south. But he presses the hole and then bounces it outside at a much higher level than he ever did. Once he gets to the second and third level, there's an elusiveness 
to Chase Brown that I hadn't necessarily seen before. And he can get to top gear really quickly, even does an effective job receiving the ball out of the backfield. There's a totality of the skills that Chase Brown's bringing to the table. Now, behind an offensive line that's got a little bit more newness to it, Isaiah Adams coming in as a transfer. Uh, Zy Chrysler, another JUCO transfer in the mix with some of that additional experience there. And then, of course, the tight end position, having the role they have in the blocking scheme. You, you do see that in Barry Lunny's offense. And frankly, I'm still not certain they've even got it all figured out yet. And it's one thing talking to Barry Lunny earlier today, as I did, they're still really implementing this system and teaching the system. And a lot of the self-scout that they did over the bye week, I believe will allow this Illini offense to continue to enhance. And so it should be a scary thought to other teams around the Big Ten, and specifically in that West Division, to think that they can even continue to do more in utilizing the rushing abilities of what we've seen early in the season from Chase Brown. Quick follow-up on Chase Brown. Is he going to be in an NFL uniform on Sundays? Yes, definitely at some point. I mean, he's got, with all these COVID years that guys have, there's still multiple years of eligibility somehow that remain for Chase Brown. But at some point, whenever he decides that's the direction he's going to go, that possibility, that potential was already there. But now, with the way he's playing this season, he's really talked himself into the conversation of being a guy who can maybe go early in the draft. If you continue to see this, and you know, you saw it in the opener against Indiana, Big Ten level competition, then you go out to ACC country, light them up as well. He's setting records for consecutive games, over 100 yards and 150 yards, top of these marks. So, I mean, there's there's no doubt Chase Brown will have not only the potential to be an NFL player, but if he keeps this up with the style of running that we're seeing, the violence of running that we're seeing, he's looking like a guy who can continue to work into, you know, who knows how high, but maybe at least that day two of the draft conversation. As you talk about the the offense expanding, uh, where do you think Tommy DeVito plays into that? We, we've seen him have a, a couple of games, if I remember right, with over 30 pass attempts, certainly in the first game uh, against Wyoming. How do you think he, he's adapted and come into to Illinois to run things under, under center? I've been struck by the comfort that seems to be there for Tommy DeVito. I mean, they, they move the ball really well between the 20s. And it really ends up coming down to some self-inflicted wounds. You know, a, a key pass that goes errant on him that's not quite on the mark where he needs to deliver it once they get in the red area. And, you know, maybe a fumble by a back or a fourth down stop. There's a lot of moments that the Illini have had earlier this season where you can see the potential for putting more touchdowns on the board. They can be led by Tommy DeVito. But, you know, he's just getting to meet these guys. He's just getting around his teammates. He had a lot of those reps through the spring, of course, and in fall camp. I just believe the more and more that he gets accustomed to Barry Lunny, the more and more that they feel comfortable with the tempo they're going to operate with, and frankly, the more comfortable they are in figuring out what are the best ways to utilize Isaiah Williams and Brian Hightower, some of these potential weapons, the playmakers that are available to them on the outside. That's where I think as much as you know, having multiple bye weeks it can be something that teams look to take advantage of. And Brett Bielema is sort of a, you know, a, a genius, a, a wisdom to him wanting to play that week zero matchup. You get a few games in early. You get multiple bye weeks in the year. So they're coming off of the first bye week where now they've had the ability to self-scout and figure out how do they hone in on what they've done poorly, where they can improve and accentuate what they do best as they prepare pretty soon to head into Big Ten competition. But tomorrow night, I'll tell you guys, this Chattanooga squad, it's a top-ten team in the FCS stylistically. 
honestly pretty similar to the Illini. So I'm really intrigued by what we're going to see, what they're going to look like against, a, you know, I'm not going to act like this is a high-level Big Ten team, but this is certainly a team that can stand up to their test. This Chattanooga squad went into the fourth quarter with a lead against the Kentucky squad that took down Iowa in the Citrus Bowl last year. This is a legitimate team that they're going to face tomorrow night. I'm wondering what the Illini will look like coming off the bye as they face them. What would you want to see from the Illini from their perspective besides the obvious of a win and health? Well, one of the things that can be really difficult because there's enough experience on the squad that that knew what it was like with the Rod Smith offensive approach and with some of that tempo that's there. There's guys on the offensive line. There's guys at the skill position that were around that, that, that trained in that. So it's not all new, but you do still have the majority of the team who at least throughout all of last season went through you know more of a huddle-up offense, went through more of a methodical approach, play-by-play. And so I do, I do think that if, if you're going to be a tempo squad, I talked to actually when I called the Indiana-Western Kentucky game last week, and both of their offensive coordinators, and Walt Bell for Indiana is one of these guys who's kind of renowned at the tempo he can establish, and the Hoosiers are still trying to figure that out. It can be tough to transition a team into being full tempo when that's not what they were before. So my impression is you took the bye week to really try to hone in on how precise you can be with that tempo. And I think that that's one thing I would like to see tomorrow night, the precision of the tempo that the Illini bring to the table and just protecting the football. You know, it's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to actually execute that at a high level. You have to be able to value the football at a level, whether that's throwing it into traffic, whether that's covering it up as a ball carrier when multiple tacklers are converging. I need precision of tempo, and I need to see the Illini really value the protecting the football. That offensively should lead them to some some success. Now, that being said, Chattanooga, just even just snap by snap on the line of scrimmage, they've got a couple of guys who are going to play in the NFL for the mocks as well. So they're going to have their hands full even just executing against the personnel that Chattanooga throws at them. But to me, precision of tempo, protecting the football for Illinois' offense, and then keep that same physicality and chase on defense. And if they can do that, then that'll be an impressive performance to me for Illinois. Anthony, you got to see Indiana up close last week, and now you'll get to see Illinois this week, and maybe you'll have a better assessment after the weekend goes on. But I'm just kind of curious how good is the middle of the Big Ten this year? Indiana sitting 3-0, and arguably could be 1-2. and The Illini, kind of a, a similar boat. They're 2-1, and could be 3-0, and but not really that impressive. Is the middle of the Big Ten any good this year? I believe it is. It's just going to be about which teams can emerge with true versatility. Um, I, I mentioned it on the Big Ten Network. I was in the studio there today, and I said it to Dave Refson. I think the Big Ten East is without a doubt the deepest division in college football. That entire division through the first three weeks of the regular season, you throw you know week zero games in there as well, but they've all played at least three games. There's one loss in the Big Ten East. That's just Michigan State on the road in Seattle last week laying an egg against the Washington Huskies. That's the only loss that entire division has up to this point. And the Big Ten West is very deep also. The Minnesota Gophers are going to have a big test going on the road to East Lansing to face an angry Michigan State squad. I think that the West, top to bottom, Minnesota's the squad that I said preseason would win the Big Ten West because we go in and I knew there was potential to their versatility. An extremely experienced quarterback 
in Tanner Morgan. A healthy Mohamed Ibrahim is, is one of the best running backs in the country returning as well. You know, they take a similar similar approach to the Illini and to a lot of teams in the Big Ten West up front on the offensive line and valuing the run game and moving the football with control. But overall, that Minnesota defense is where, you know, you look at defenses really top to bottom in the Big Ten West. That's where that division has plenty of defenses. Which team can throw the football at the highest level to sort of offset the run game and the defense? That, to me, is where Minnesota's the team. I came in with the confidence in their ability to do that. Can the Illini emerge in that regard to become a contender in the West? If they can showcase that they can throw the football with more precision and at a higher level, then that's where the Illini have the potential to enter that discussion. Just like last week, we saw Graham Mertz, the talented Wisconsin quarterback, showcase that a little bit more, 12 out of 15 in that game, three touchdown passes. They're going to bring that confidence to Columbus this weekend and see if Wisconsin can be one of those squads. I think overall the Big Ten West, a very deep division, but as far as who can truly compete with the East, it's going to be the team that can have a passing game that emerges along with the rushing attack and the defense that's all around that division. Anthony Heron, this happens every time. I always have intent to to ask you about the Bears, and and uh, you get a chance you get a chance to come on here and talk about Big Ten football and the and the Illini, and that uh, that is where our primary focus is. But I, I just want to ask you this: Tell me that this uh, quote controversy about the comments from 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 <laughs> oh, Justin geez. Fields. Tell me that 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 that's unnecessary because when I heard his comments about that the, the fans don't put any work the players do and that you know we feel it more in the locker room than anyone i i i, I thought nothing of it and the reason i thought nothing of it was because i've heard several athletes say something to that effect all the time so i thought this is nothing but apparently it was something because i don't know it's the bears or chicago i don't know Chicago was very upset after another loss to the Packers on Sunday Night Football. It seems like that's just sort of the annual rite of passage for the NFL season, where one of the first two weeks of the season, they're going to put Green Bay and Chicago on television. Aaron Rodgers is going to embarrass the Bears, and then everyone goes home upset or turns off their televisions upset. And so when Justin Fields makes those comments post-game, I do think it was a big nothing or should have been a big nothing, but people blow that out of proportion because Bears fans are upset that their squad just lost to the Packers. But, I mean, to say that, you know, players feel worse about it than fans, it feels like an obvious statement that obviously the individuals in there bleeding and sweating and day in, day out as their livelihood trying to prepare for excellence to go out there and not perform well, to go out there and lose the game. There's no doubt that those who are in the thick of it feel that more. They literally feel feel that more than the fans because they're the ones out there getting hit and doing the hitting. And that's really the only point that Justin Fields was making. So for Bears fans to, for some reason, be upset by that or offended by that because he dares say that because he's the one out there actually competing, (laughs) literally going through it while everyone else is watching it on television, I, I don't think it should have been something that got everyone's dander up. It was really, as much as anything, I think just a big reaction to fans being upset about another loss to Aaron Rodgers in the Packers. Thank you. Thank you for being, you know, rational and reasonable. <laughs> I try to add that to scenarios when I can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, hey, man, we appreciate it. Uh, safe travels down here to Champaign, and uh, we would be glad to have you anytime you can swing it. I know you're a busy guy. It is always my pleasure when we make it happen. Look forward to doing it again.
All right. Thank you very much, sir. Anthony Heron, once an Iowa Hawkeye and the pride of Bolingbrook, Illinois, which is just south of Naperville. Mm, Got a lot of allegiances there. He does. And played in the NFC North, as it is now. Played for the Detroit Lions. Mm -hmm. And is a good analyst. So we appreciate his time. All right. Colin Likas waiting in the wings. He'll join us in a moment. You're listening to Sports Talk on DWS. We had big storms the other night. How's your roof? If you took a look at your roof and said, eh, I don't see any damage, don't be so sure because your roof can be damaged from a storm without you able to see it from street level or uh, whatever level you're looking at. You need somebody professional to come take a look and let you know if you need a replacement. See you under construction. They can do that. been telling you about how they've worked in my home. They can work on top of your home and do a roof replacement if needed. Now, do your homework. That's the most important thing. Uh, you can have them out for a free inspection, but the biggest thing to know is don't uh, go with a fly-by-night storm chasers as they were. Go with a reputable company that's here in town that can give you a warranty and knows how to work through the insurance issues and all that. So just keep them in mind if you've got storm damage or you suspect you may have storm damage or if your roof is getting there about time, they can help you out. Check them out. See you under construction at seeyouunderconstruction.com. Join us tonight for the next edition of the Brett Bielema Radio Show. We'll visit with the head coach of the Fighting Illini coming up tonight at 7 right here on DWS. Final segment here of Sports Talk. We're going to transition to Serve Pro High School Football Prep Confidential powered by U of Army ROTC. Colin Likas is here to tease a little bit of what's coming up. Good to see you, sir. Yep, thanks for having me as always. Yeah, great. What's on tap? Nothing. Okay, good. See ya. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, Loaded show, as always. We'll have uh, three athletes coming over uh, from North Mattis Avenue, St. Thomas Moore football, eight-man program, sitting at 2-2 after winning their homecoming game last week. Uh, Nathan Watson, so gracious to send a couple of his kids, three of his kids over right after they end practice at 6 o'clock tonight. So they'll be hustling over here to try and make it on the show. And uh, we'll also hear from coaches from Unity High School and Arcola High School and Milford High School in conjunction with Cisna Park. So uh, three successful programs there, four successful programs if you count STM. And we'll discuss plenty more programs beyond those four as well. Uh, Central and Danville is the game of the week this Friday night. Uh, sorry, Centennial and Danville is the game of the week this Friday night as well. Central plays on Saturday. <laughs> Central plays on Saturday. Um, is is this maybe the biggest test for Centennial? Uh, so far, yes. Uh, I would say that's a fair assessment. Uh, Peoria Manual is a much improved team, but Centennial kind of ran away from that game after uh, after kind of gaining its footing. Peoria Richwoods is having a so-so season. Centennial handled them pretty well. Um, Proviso East has struggled for several years. Champaign Central has been struggling for the last few years. So, yeah, this would uh, I would say this has been the toughest test so far coming up against Danville. Uh, Marcus Forrest Vikings seem to always just do a really good job of grinding games into the mud, more or less. They, they just really managed to slow down opposing offenses. That's why last season's game ended with a 13-6 centennial win, or at least part of the reason anyway. I, I, I don't know if I'd expect that low scoring of a game on Friday, but I do think it'll be probably the lowest scoring game since Daniels had so far. They're averaging somewhere around 50 points a game at this point offensively, so uh, I would tend to think we're not going to reach quite that high against Danville, but uh, I think Centennial pull out the win. It'll just be a really hard-fought one. Centennial's not in the polls. I know they're not everything, but Mm. should they be? 
I mentioned them this week simply because it's tough once you get to 5A, 6A, 7A, 8A. You're dealing with so many suburb schools and Chicago schools and even some schools down from the St. Louis area who just play tougher competition. That's what it comes down to. Centennial schedule just has not been, no offense to the four teams they've played, it's just not been the best schedule so far compared with what some other schools in Class 6A are playing. But I did mention them leading up to this week because I think Danville's a good, solid game. Uh, they have Normal West in Week 9, a team that was ranked until they lost to a really good Richmond Burton team over the weekend uh, there there are tough games coming up for Centennial the tougher part of their schedule is definitely on the back half so if they stay undefeated just keep it going keep it going you might see their name in class 6a at some point after their playoff win last year not really all that surprising that mm-hmm. Centennial is good this year it's hard to believe that we're into the second half of the high school season mm-hmm. who who has surprised you here so far yeah, we're uh, we're chugging right along. Uh, you know, Centennial. You, it's it's tough to. It's been tough for Centennial Central to transition consistent success in recent years. There's been good seasons followed by bad ones, and vice versa. So it is good to see Centennial kind of just keeping up that momentum that they had from last year. It doesn't necessarily surprise me, but it's good to see. I have been a little bit surprised that Danville has looked as good as they have, sitting at three and one. Their only loss was to a really good Peoria team, and they held Peoria most. Mostly in check offensively until late in the game. This Danville team, not the biggest team in the world as far as numbers, but they, they have a lot of athleticism and a lot of talent, to be sure. So those two big school teams have definitely surprised me so far, or at least made, made me happy to see them playing well. Yeah. Colin and Joey have served pro prep football confidential from U of I Army ROTC coming up in just a few minutes. Thank you, good sir. Yep, sounds good. Thank you, guys. All right, uh, that'll do it for our Wednesday show. Tomorrow we'll be live in Grange Grove starting at 4 o'clock. Plan to talk with Scott Ritchie, also Mike Pearson about Illinois' Hall of Fame weekend. I meant to have you play Earth, Wind, and Fire. It's already loaded up. It's uh, Oh, because uh, it's September. Production value. My bad. This is. We'll, We'll try to be better tomorrow. News Talk 1400, 93.9 FM, WDWS, Champaign-Urbana.